Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. We're going to talk to Chris Mannix coming up here momentarily. We'll ask Chris about the Jazz, of course, but uh, there is some NBA news out there today. Anthony Davis uh, basically saying he's not going to sign an extension with the Lakers and is going to hit free agency this offseason, which people are, are kind of unnecessarily freaking out about. We'll get Chris's take on it, but... He can make more money if he hits the open market, so it'd almost be foolish to sign an extension now. Why is it that he can make more money? Well, he could, he could, yeah, and I guess he could do the same at the Lakers, right? Yeah, he could absolutely resign with the Lakers. Yeah, one hundred percent, and then benefit in the same way yeah. eventually. All right, well, let's get to it. Uh, Austin, hit it. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Out to the Sprint special guest line we go. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung tab for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Joining us now, the great Chris Mannix. Hi, Chris. How are you? What's going on, guys? Hey, we're just talking a ton of NBA, as you can imagine. We have a lot to get to you with. But let's start with the Red Hot Jazz, 11 of 12, granted against uh, some subpar competition, but uh, just swept a three-game road trip. Jazz fans are pre- uh, feeling pretty good about their team. What do you think, Chris? Well, I mean, when when you see these kind of lighter touches on the schedule, you've got to take advantage of them. Uh, I was watching parts of the game against the Bulls, uh, this past week and you know you like what you see from guys like donovan mitchell i think you know joe ingles as a playmaker when he has that part of his game going is just invaluable to that group and you know rudy gobert keeps changing things in the middle so you know again we 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 bring up the same things and i think the jazz are only going to go as far as kind of the the mike conley donovan mitchell combination the backcourt can take them offensively but you like to see Ingles get it going a little bit, and you like to see uh, you know what you're getting out of Mitchell at this point of the season. We were just talking about this, Chris, that uh, throughout the game you see the Jazz go into this blender that they like to do where the ball is just moving and all of that. But in critical moments uh, in, the final mo- in the final minutes of games, you'll see uh, Donovan Mitchell or Boyan Bogdanovich sort of take over and, and, and do things and read things themselves. And that seems like that's a real handy thing for them to be able to do to avoid turnovers and have the ball in your most, uh, in your most effective player's hands. The Jazz are doing this, and it, it's working out well for them. Yeah, in the playoffs, you have to have that. I mean, you know, as, as we all know, as we watch in all these playoff games, it slows down and becomes more isolation-heavy, more two-man game kind of heavy, and you know, each possession becomes more valuable. And, you know, I watched – you know, Bogdanovic do it last year uh, to a degree with Indiana, you know, where he's able to kind of take over games, not in the same way that Mitchell does, but, you know, he's a really talented offensive player. So having him complimenting Mitchell is going to be huge. And, 
you know, another year of Mitchell getting playoff experience and 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 just seeing the kind of defense that they that they're going to present him, I think is going to be huge for for him. So yeah, I mean, like having those two guys be able to kind of create their own offense and attack the basket without you know much help is is big. But I, I do think you know. You know, I go back to Ingles. I just every when I see him on the floor up there, a lot of times, you know, that ball just moves a lot better, and his ability to kind of create from that position is uh, is really important for the Jazz in the half court. What does it say about the West that the Jazz could win eleven of twelve and still be fifth? It's a weird conference right now because yeah, the Jazz are kind of in that mix where you know you got Houston and a few other teams that are battling for those three, four, five slots at the same time. Like everybody but Golden State is in contention for the eighth slot, you know, out there. So you've you've got some some interesting dogfights going on. I mean, it, it's a it's a very competitive upper half of the conference. I mean, the Lakers cooled off a little bit, but they're still sitting pretty at about four games up on everybody else. We know the Clippers have cooled off a little bit, but they're still the Clippers, and and they're only going to get better, I think, as the season goes on. I mean, you've 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 got to keep this stuff going during these. You know these dog days of January and February. Try to keep up um, in that mix. Try to get that home court advantage in the first round. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated, ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The Zone. Chris, the Jazz are number one in the league in three-point percentage. Does that surprise you? And do you think that's sustainable? A little bit. I mean, I, some of those percentages just shock me. I mean, Philadelphia is a lot higher than people think in three-point percentage, but they're you know, widely regarded as a bad three-point shooting team. I think what you've got to be, I mean, the ultimate uh, you know, pair of stats is for that shooting is high in three-point percentage and high in three-point attempts. If you're high in both those categories, you've got yourself a pretty good team. I don't know exactly where the Jazz are in attempts, but if you're up there in, in, and you're just jacking three-point shots uh, and you're making them at a high percentage, you're going to beat a lot of teams uh, in this league. So it's a it's certainly a positive that they're they're making a lot of those threes, but in today's league, you got to be shooting like 35, 40 threes a night, making them at a good percentage in order to, in order to win. Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit here, but I only do it because I know you're 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 qualified to answer just about any question we come up with. You mentioned Mike Conley. What is it about his game that would potentially make him so effective for the Jazz down the home stretch and into the postseason? Well, I mean, the bread-and-butter play in today's NBA is the pick-and-roll. And Mike Conley ran a lot of that when he was in Memphis with Zach Randolph and Mark Casal, And he ran a lot of it with guys that did different things. I mean, Zach Randolph was kind of a dive guy who rolled to the basket, whereas Mark Gasol oftentimes would pop out and, you know, make perimeter jumpers. So he's just – he's very proficient at that particular play. And if you look at Utah, you can run it with a bunch of different guys. I mean, they don't use – a traditional four man, so you can have an Ingles out there kind of popping out from beyond three point line on a screen. Uh, you could run a small pick and roll with Mitchell, and certainly with Gobert, you could get him a lot of easy opportunities at the bucket with with uh, the pick and roll there. So I think having him, and you brought up earlier that kind of you know isolation offense that you need, that, that you need to run in the playoffs. You know Conley can run a lot of that pick and roll at a high level in the postseason that you're really going to need to be successful. So. And again, the, the the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, they, they played it at a methodical pace, you know, throughout Mike Conley's years in Memphis. So that's going to be really useful uh, when you can't run as much in the postseason. 
Chris, you brought up the Sixers a little bit earlier, and I know they got a win uh, last night over the Thunder, which is a nice one, uh, 120 to 113. But before that, they had lost four consecutive games. And I saw some comments last week where Joel Embiid called out Ben Simmons a little bit in a roundabout way for not being willing uh, to shoot from distance. Is there is there some fire to that smoke going on in Philly? Well, I mean, everybody in Philly is trying to get Ben Simmons to shoot threes. I mean, even if he's missing them. I honestly don't care that if Philly, you know, if he shot five threes a game for a 10-game stretch and missed all of them, I don't think the 76ers coaching staff and front office would care all that much because they've got to get him comfortable with shooting three-point shots. And right now he's just not comfortable taking those shots. And they know it. They know that if he doesn't take them in the regular season, he sure as heck is not going to take them in the playoffs. So that, that's something they're really getting frustrated with in Philadelphia, that Simmons refuses to pull the trigger anytime he's got the ball from beyond the three-point line. And, you know, his teammates know it. Joel Embiid knows it. Uh, Brett Brown is a coach. He knows it. And, and that's, that's problematic there. Now, now, Philly can always hang its hat in the fact that, you know, when they're engaged defensively, they're great. Like, they, they, can, they can shut down any team in the league if they're clicking on that end of the floor. But you, you can't rely on an offense that might only put up 90, 95 points every single night. You've got to find a way to get some, some rhythm offensively, especially, you know, we keep going back to the same subject, especially when the game slows down, they get to the half court. I mean, Simmons can't be a non-factor in those types of situations. And right now, that's kind of what he is. Chris, everybody likes comeback stories, guys who can redirect their careers. Markel Fultz with 25 points for the Magic. Uh, uh, what's going on with this guy? Do you think he can finally become what people thought he might be when he was uh, the number one pick? Hey, I was at that game last night, and I'm still in Orlando writing a little bit about Fultz for later this week. He's, I mean, it was his most impressive game of the season, the most impressive game of his career. Um, you know, look, I, I don't know if – I don't know in an ideal world would Markel Fultz have been a franchise point guard, you know, the next coming of Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook, even without the problems in Philly. I, I don't know. But I certainly think he has the ability to live up to whatever potential he had. And you talk to people in Orlando, whether it's his teammates or the coaching staff, and, you know, they see signs of a great player. And the one thing I keep hearing over and over again is that if you think this is good now – wait until he really gets comfortable beyond the three-point line. And everything I said about Ben Simmons, the opposite is true for Fultz. He's not shooting great from, from three. I mean, his first possession in the game last night, he airballed a three-pointer, but he came right back and shot a three and made it a couple of possessions later. He's a willing three-point shooter, and they really believe in Orlando that once he starts becoming a real threat from beyond the three-point line, which they think is only a matter of time, He's going to be – he's so good off the dribble, and he's so physical, you know, getting to the paint. I saw him just run over Garrett Temple a couple of times and take the ball right at the bigs of Brooklyn uh, last night. You know, once he's – you've got to pressure him on the outside, he's going to be really tough to stop. So, yeah, I mean, look, they gave up virtually nothing to get Markel Fultz, and that could turn out to be one of the brilliant trades, you know, for the Orlando Magic and, and their ability to build a contender. Chris, your thoughts on the news today about Anthony Davis and the Lakers not reaching an extension deal? It's more semantics than anything else. I mean, by not signing the extension, Davis is eligible for the five-year uh, Supermax or Max or whatever it is, the $200 million deal in the offseason. So it would have made no sense for him to sign for four years and 146. We can get that fifth year 
uh, in the offseason. I mean, I guess theoretically it's something of a gamble if he, you know, if his body falls apart in the next four months or five months, then you know he might wish he signed that deal. But this was always expected, and nobody in the NBA thinks Davis is going anywhere. He, you know, he passive aggressively fought to get to LA a year ago, and now he's there. They're on a, they're a great team. He's got great chemistry with LeBron. LeBron's playing at a high level. Uh, I think Anthony Davis is going to be a Laker for years to come. Chris, the Bucks got off to that great start in 32-6 and six right now. The Lakers you mentioned, you talked about a little bit. Is there a team beneath those two that you think is stirring now, that you think could be uh, a real threat come playoff time? Well, I don't know if it, it's stirring. If The Clippers clearly got stirring right now. But, I mean, Kawhi Leonard, you know, in his first year with Toronto, won a championship. Man, you can argue he's got as good or better a team in L.A., you know, to, to win a championship with Paul George and Patrick Beverly and the group they have with the Clippers. So I'm still a believer in the Clippers as being uh, a co-favorite in the Western Conference. Uh, in the East, I, I think those teams are, are a trade away of being able to compete with Milwaukee. I think the Sixers need shooters. I think the Raptors need something. Uh, maybe it's a, a, a Kevin Love type or, or somebody to score from the outside in Boston – I don't think Boston can win a series against Milwaukee without having another big to battle with Brooke Lopez and Robin Lopez and to fight Giannis on the inside. So I think the, the Bucks probably have the clearest path to the finals because everybody around them, I think, needs to upgrade. But if one of those teams upgrades, and I do think we're going to have a very busy NBA trade deadline, if one of those teams upgrades, uh, I, I think the, you know, we could see some real, uh, a real fight for the uh, Eastern Conference title. Chris, Luka Doncic had another 30-point triple-double last night, and Dallas has been, uh, no doubt about it, the surprise of the Western Conference. Uh, they're sitting in the sixth spot right now at 23-13. and 13. How sustainable is it uh, what they're doing? Oh, it's, it, it's sustainable. I mean, you know, like they, their supporting cast has been a surprise that they've been that effective, but, you know, Doncic isn't a surprise. Porzingis isn't a surprise. Rick Carlisle didn't become a great coach overnight. I mean, every, all the pieces they have, are in place and and you get to the playoffs and you can play Porzingis and Doncic together on on pick and roll. I mean that's they're going to be a tough out for anybody. I mean that's that's a team that that is 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 going to be a threat. I mean I I don't look you you don't win at the highest level kind of in your first year together and that's what the Mavericks are. I mean Doncic is twenty, Porzingis is twenty three. I mean they've got to experience some growing pains in the playoffs, but. It's not a team I'd want to face in the first round if I'm one of those teams that's in and around them in the playoff mix. So uh, I think it's it's real. And, you know, it's funny. It's, it's, it's off topic a little bit, but I'm still just shocked that Sacramento passed on Luka Doncic. I, I think every time I watch the Kings, I think they're run by one of the great international players of all time in Vlade Divac. They're like second in command is Peja Stoyakovic. They've got a terrific international scout. They played over there. How do the Sacramento Kings pass on Luka Doncic? That, that to me, I, you know, maybe it's because it's Sacramento and nobody cares. But like, that, that to me is one of the more crazy things. Like, the, the Atlanta Hawks get beat up for trading, you know, Trey Young for Doncic. At least Trey Young is probably going to be a, a multi-time All Star and a great player at his respective position. That Sacramento passed on Doncic to me is, is continues to be one of the more inexplicable draft decisions in the last few years. And it's going to do nothing but get worse as the years go by, I have a feeling. Yeah, I mean, they draft Marvin Bagley. And Bagley's fine, but he's nowhere near Doncic's level. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just, maybe you're 
stereotyping, like Vlade is the international guy, but the guy played overseas. He knows what he's looking at when a guy's dominating for in EuroLeague games. Like, he knows what he's seeing. Same thing with Peja. Like, how do they, they whiff on this particular guy? It's beyond me. Last thing for me, Chris, if we were going to look at the top teams in each conference, uh, the Bucks, Celtics, Heat, Raptors, Sixers, as it stands now, and then the Lakers, Nuggets, Rockets, Clippers, Jazz, which of those teams do you think from the bench, and I don't mean the bench players, I mean from the coach, would you pick as having the greatest advantage? Which one of those coaches would you select if you had to have a game won? Oh, I mean, that's it's a good question. Um, you've got some experienced hands that, in that group, uh, no doubt. Guys that have won in the playoffs. But I tell you, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm too close to it, but I, I'm buying Brad Stevens as, as, as a coach. I still am. I mean, he had a rough year last year, and a lot of it was a lack of a connection with Kyrie Irving and a lack of an ability to find chemistry with guys, but from an X and O's perspective, I mean, look, Boston has a top five defense right now. I don't know how that's humanly possible. Like, the fact they have a top five defense is remarkable. They lost Al Horford and Aaron Baines, two high level defensive big men, and replaced them with Ennis Cantor, a rookie in Grant Williams, and a, and a collection of other guys like Daniel Tice in that mix. And they still have a top five defense. I mean, Brad Stevens is a wizard. Uh, on the on the bench, so I'm still buying him as the guy I'd want there on the sideline, even though he doesn't have, you know, championship experience. Chris, as always, thank you for jumping on with us. We really appreciate it. You got it, guys. Thanks, Chris. Chris Mannix, Sports Illustrated, joins us each and every week here on the Big Show. Brad Stevens, huh? Hey, you've got a top five defense, and Ennis Cantor is playing a role. <laughs> then you must be a magician. <laughs> okay. You must be. You must All be right. doing doing something. Well, the reason I asked it that way is because if you include everybody in the league, I mean, doesn't don't most people think Popovich? Yeah. Would that be the easy one to go with? Unless you're of the opinion that the game has passed him by. Oh, I think his team just isn't as good. <laughs> it helps when your team's better. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, uh, that, that helps you look good. Yeah, but, you know, there will be situations where the head coach is a difference maker. You know, and, uh, and and I'm not just talking about building through the regular season. I'm talking about decisions made as uh, a playoff series unfolds. Well, let me say this: I think the I think the coaching level in the NBA right now is extraordinarily high. Well, I do too. You you heard what uh, what Chris said about about Dallas, and he's 100 percent right. I mean, Rick Carlisle uh, Rick Carlisle is a thing or two. one heck mm-hmm. of a basketball coach, yep. one of the best in the NBA, and just because he remained in his job during a rebuild which doesn't happen all that often, uh, does not mean he forgot how to coach by any mm-hmm. means. And, and he's reminding everybody of that now, to your point, that he has some players uh, to pull the strings with. So, I mean, there, there's just a bunch of great coaches out there. I mean, yeah, I know Portland's struggling, but Terry Stott's a great coach. Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of them. You know, that whole thing about Dantich, that's going to haunt the Kings. For a long, long time. It, it sh- really is. It should and, haunt the Suns, it should yeah. haunt the Kings, and it should haunt the Hawks. It and should I, ha- and, haunt all three. And he was one of those players that as the draft was approaching, there was all kinds of buzz about him. And yet, even though it was well known what he was capable of doing, these teams 
decided to look a different way. Don't it's you? an inexact science, but I'm telling you, it becomes a whole lot more exact as time goes by. All right. I Chris is totally right about the Kings and passing up on him or whatever, but I almost blame the Suns more. They hired his EuroLeague coach. <laughs> they hired his coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if anybody should have known it was the Kings, right? And then their buffoon owner steps in and goes, nope. <laughs> We're taking the local guy. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, he sure is fun to watch. And he's good. He is the real deal. Hmm. And uh, I would expect him to play at a uh, premium level for quite some time. Yeah, I would I would think so as well. I mean, he just – and uh, what I'm trying to decide is how selfish of a player he is. Because he plays very similarly to James Harden, but I've heard a couple of pundits say that he plays differently in a sense that he's not quite as ball dominant. Yeah. But I don't know if I'm buying that yet. I I because Porzingis got better when he was down for a little while. Uh, I, okay, let's wait and see on that. I yeah, I'm I'm not drawing any conclusions, but that's the one thing because I I I. Not wild about James Harden's game. Watching it, that is. I mean, yeah. hey, it's very effective. Don't get me wrong. But don't you think But it's Doncic not my favorite. Is, and I'm kind of just trying to decide if Doncic is in that similar fashion. But he's fashion. more fun to watch than Harden. Don't you think? <clears throat> There's a lot of similarities. There's mm. a lot of similarities. All right. What? No, I'm, I'm, I'm considering what you just said. Uh, I'll keep an eye on that as time goes by. Right. So, well, that's something we'll see. But uh, Dallas, I, th- I agree with Chris. I think they have staying power. I don't think they're going anywhere. But the difference between the top six in the West and the rest of the West is pretty vast. The Jazz have an opportunity now that they've passed Dallas and they have the schedule that they have to win a few more games. But I'm telling you, I was looking at the schedule at the end of January into February, and it gets tough. Yeah, they're going to have to win some games. They're going to some really difficult games, and that's why this stretch was so important. You got to yeah, make hay now, man. Well, and hone what you've got going on, right. so you're prepared, right? When the schedule stiffens up, and again. that's what really caught my eye about what I've seen. That's why I wrote about the fact that the Jazz are doing what they're doing. They're capable of doing that ISO ball thing because I did that with an eye toward the playoffs. And the fact that the Jazz could do that on possessions when they need to, even though Quinn Snyder says he doesn't want the he doesn't want the offense to run that way throughout the game, but there are portions of the game, especially toward the end of them, when that is invaluable. Yeah. And so we'll see what the Jazz if they can continue to beat up some of these lesser teams and and then you know they have they have some tough games coming up, like I said. And we'll see how it holds up by then. But they seem to be getting into a groove. They're still not blowing teams away. Right. And It's not I, perfect. It's not well, perfect. I was thinking about that when I saw that Bowler and those guys, they had uh, the Jazz listed at the top of clutch wins. And I'm not exactly sure what a clutch win is other than it must be a close win Isn't at it? the end of games. Yeah, isn't it within five points? Something like that. And under two minutes, I think, yeah. So... Does that is that a compliment to the Jazz, or does it mean that they're not capable of building big leads? Oh, I think it's very useful. I don't know about a compliment. I, I, I don't know about that, but they're going to have to win close games eventually and might as well sharpen the sword, so to speak. So get used to it. Yeah. I, I mean, I know football and basketball are totally different, and, and this is a loose comparison at best, but I'm, you know, I thought 
Utah may have, by waxing all those teams, all those games in a row where it really wasn't competitive, might have lost a little bit of an edge. That's an interesting point. Not not that you would go out there and like purposely struggle, you know, like, hey, let's keep this UCLA game close. But, I mean, they were just demolishing those teams that maybe they lost a little bit of that, of that edge when it got tight. You've got to go out there and execute your stuff. Hmm. And so I don't think having experience in the clutch minutes is, is a bad thing. Plus, Donovan has been terrific. In the clutch minutes, terrific. Most of them. So the more experience that he can get with that, I think the better. Again, not saying, hey guys, go out there and play some close games, but you know, yeah, keep it close. To to have some experience in <laughs> I that. Hear is, Quinn Snyder saying that is not the worst thing. Fellas, no, 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 no. I don't want to see a forty point win over like we did against Golden State a couple years ago. When was that? When did they beat? Remember that year they beat Golden State? They were just crushing them. Yeah, was it three was it years, two ago? years ago? Two years ago, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to rest you guys in the fourth quarter. Why would I want to do that? Yeah, keep Make, it close. Keep it close, all right? I want to remind you about our friends at uh, Ken Garf, West Valley Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram. Get a new Jeep or Ram for less at Ken Garf, West Valley Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram. More straight ahead. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. Slow Mo Joe. The Joe Ingles Show with DJ and PK. PK. We've heard you wanted to have a special guest on. So tell us about your guest. An Iowa State alumni. He was a little overweight for a little while there, but he's dominating life now. George's. Meow! Who was the one who made the three-pointer that set the record for most threes in a game for the franchise? Not Joe Ingles, I know that. <laughs> who made all the threes to even give him a chance to make the three to set the record? Let me have my moment, man. Yeah, really, Joe, you ball hog. Now you got to be an attention hog, too? Jeez. He can have it. Hopefully the guys keep him around for a long time and I can pass my showdown to him. Hey, we're on to something here. Oh, yeah. Catch jazz man Joe Ingles with DJ and PK every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Go! Now I'm out here looking like revenge, feeling like a 10, the best I ever been. And yeah, I know how bad it must hurt to see me like this, but now you're out here looking like regret Ain't too proud to beg Second chance you'll never get And yeah, I know how bad it must hurt To see me like this Little Demi Lovato going out to Ryan On a total request Tuesday on the big show 97.5 and 1280 The Zone uh, Gordon, we had a, a conversation about a comparison Between Luka Doncic and, uh, and James Harden That we kind of carried over into the break and uh, I, th- I think we're going to bring it up. We're going to we're going to try and tackle this because I, th- I think it could be an interesting, an interesting conversation if we had a correct. All right. Way. So let me invite our listeners to think where you're coming from on this, and you know, search the corners of your mind about how uh, how you view things. So I I told you uh, that I'm kind of waiting to decide on Luka Doncic and if I like watching him play. And that's that's what we're talking about here for a moment. I mean, mm-hmm. what he what he does is no doubt effective. He had another 30-point triple-double the other night. Just like no doubt what James Harden does is effective. But I don't like watching James Harden play because he dribbles the ball so much mm-hmm. and it's so centered around him and the rest of his team is standing around and the, the acting, uh, the traveling. I mean, it just all rubs me the wrong way. Again, not saying he's not effective and not a great player, but I just don't enjoy watching him play. And I think I've heard a lot of other NBA analysts or NBA fans or whatever you out there say something similar. 
Now, Luka Doncic comes along, and his style of play is very similar to James Harden's, yet I hear people just glow about how much they love watching him play. So I'm kind of waiting to give my opinion because I wonder if there's a racial component to those opinions. Okay, so there's the match you just threw into the into the haystack. Do people have a different opinion on Luka Doncic as opposed to James Harden? Does James Harden get a lot of hate and everybody goes, oh, I just love watching Luka play? Even though their, their styles are, are very, very similar, I, I just wonder why. And I heard, and I wish I could remember the name of the guest because that's not, it's not really fair, but I, I heard a, a pundit on a national show basically asked not the, the racial question, but asked the question, you know, isn't he a lot like James Harden? What's the difference? Yeah. And, and the guest kind of backpedaled and said, oh, he's, he's got a much more team-oriented uh, style of game, which I personally have not seen. It seems very similar to me, but I have not consumed enough, I guess, to to be 100% educated on the opinion. And in comparing those two games, uh, I I think we would have to study it out a little more. But it is an interesting aspect to the whole thing. I certainly hope the answer to that question is no. A resounding no. Can't we please be past that? Well, Way past that? Oh jeez. But if you look at if you look at usage, which is not the not a perfect stat by any right. means, but basically it's an estimate of the percentage of team plays used by a player while he was on the floor. So the amount of plays that are basically, you know, run through you. James Harden's uh usage uh, usage rate is 37 and a half. Which is, which is really high. By comparison, Donovan Mitchell's usage rate thus far this year, uh, Gordon, is 31. Okay. So that's quite a bit higher, and yeah. we watch a lot of jazz basketball. He has the ball in his hands mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, and no one minds it when he does. No, and, and by the way, usage isn't necessarily a negative, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it plays into our conversation here. Uh, by comparison, Luka Doncic usage rate this year, Gordon, is 37 so it's close. It's extremely close. Well, could you factor in also what kind of teammates you have around each of these players? Right. Yes. Because the the burden on Doncic or on Harden, depending on how you answer the question, is who has a better, quote-unquote, supporting cast? Because what would be worse? Do you think players, capable players who can score— Want to just stand around and wait for the ball to come to them if if the ball dominant player decides to give it to you? I you know what I've I've asked some folks of in the industry if if they thought that players would enjoy playing with James Harden and I've, the the answer to that has been a resounding no. Because well, do players don't, enjoy playing with Doncic? I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure, and I'm I'm trying to to look up some stats here. And, uh, and I'll see if I get to him. But, you know, over the stretch that he was injured, Kristaps Porzingis' production went up. And that's not a surprise because, again, the surrounding cast, yeah, he has more to of the weight more. goes on to yes. him. But it does bring up the question, you know, is he really a team guy? And the assist, the assist is no longer a, a accurate gauge of how unselfish you are. It's just not. Explain your position on that. Um, so when James Harden dribbles the ball for 22 seconds and then makes a move and when he's triple teamed, he dishes to, um, Eric Gordon at the last second. He doesn't really have much of a choice. Who just has to catch and shoot no matter what. Uh I mean, is that really an unselfish play from James Harden? 
or is it kind of a selfish play and somebody else happened to take or the shot? It, it was an act of desperation. Or was it an to. act of desperation? Yeah. Yes. And there's a lot of that. Like, you know, Russell Russell Westbrook averaged a triple double. Was he is he an unselfish player? Not really. See, when I think of James Harden's game, the part of it that bothers me is not his usage rate. It's the way that he draws fouls. There's a little bit of that with Luka, too, and I, yeah. I agree. I mean, he flails his arms around, and it has nothing to do with anything other than that he, it seems like, oh, and maybe this is a bad criticism. Maybe he has mastered the system. And maybe he knows how to draw those fouls by falling into people and throwing his arms out and, and, and drawing the foul. I just don't like that. That that uh, that seems uh, to be edging toward cheating, in my opinion. It's got nothing to do with uh, the color of a man's skin. I, I couldn't care less about that. But I, I don't like to see people do that, draw fouls that way. Well, there's a lot of other players in the NBA that do it. He yeah, just happens but Harden to be the, is the best at and, it. And he has. He's figured out a cheat code with with officiating and, you know. It's it's horrible. I don't like it either, but it's within the rules, and the refs make the calls. I mean, we shouldn't blame him. I just don't have to enjoy watching it. That's that's always been my opinion with James Harden, and and I I do find it kind of a shame that Mike D'Antoni's system was this wonderfully open, fast paced, beautiful basketball style that we watched with the <laughs> Suns, and it was just we all have these like romantic feelings about enjoying watching that particular team because they were just so fun to watch. And and he's taken that concept from Mike D'Antoni and just like mutilated it down into this boring one-on-one, slow, methodical, all about me style of play that that was so anti-Steve Nash and what he was all about. It's it's I don't like it. That's my point. But if Luca's the same player, I should feel similarly about what Luka Doncic does. Well, maybe you just need to be exposed to him more. Well, and okay, maybe, and maybe you'll feel that way. The thing about D'Antoni, well, he—he's obviously he's a smart basketball mind, and he's observed and he's evaluated the talent on his team, and he's pushing the thing in a direction whichever gives him the better chance of winning. Uh, but he also has to—he also has to uh, keep uh, happy relations with his star player. So maybe it's a nod to James Harden saying. Okay, I'll, I'll let we'll do it your way. All right, so real quick, some feedback coming in. Hector tweets at us at Jake Scott's own at Gordon Monson. He says, uh, I think it might be because Luca is new and fresh, but eventually he might get hate like Harden does. And then Toby adds something similar. He says, I loved Harden for a long time, but eventually all the little things you mentioned get old. I'll hate Luca within two to three years for the same reason. <laughs> that's, so, a, that's a strong point. I, and I get that. And and that makes some sense. This guy well, is new. Well, he's kind of a phenom out of, uh, you know, from a, form, from a different country coming in and uh, a young guy. He's still, how old is he? Oh, he's what, 20, 21? 21 maybe? So, yeah, so it's something new. It's something a little different. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on this I as just, time goes by. I just wonder, you know, these this that style hasn't necessarily won all that much uh, in, recently. That one-on-one ball dominant by one particular person, high usage rate stuff. I mean, you could make an argument 
Uh, that LeBron winning his title in Cleveland was a little bit that way, but he still had Kyrie Irving making big shots and wasn't necessarily all that ball dominant. Well, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier with the Jazz's capability to play isolation ball a little bit. There are spots when it is extremely helpful. Yeah. But if it's it's just like Quinn said. If it's all he's, you do. Yeah, Quinn said his quote was, we don't want to do that all the time, essentially. Yeah. We, we pick our spots to do that, and and then you keep the rest of your team happy and fresh and pulling for the star. But if the star is hogging the ball all the time, after a while, I think the other players may uh, may quit trying so hard. May, yeah. oh, well, I think that's been an issue with Houston, by the way. And I think it's been an issue in, in the playoffs when they've eventually come uh, come to their end. Somebody asked us to add up uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook's usage number. Uh, Harden is 37.5, and uh, Russell Westbrook is 32.9. So, so the rest of the team can take a seat. <laughs> I go ahead and add that up. But, I mean, it doesn't exactly work that way, but no. I think uh, I think you you get the idea. P.J. Tucker's over the corner. Hey, hey! I'm I'm on the team too. I in fact I just played defense really really hard on the other end. If you didn't notice, I'm on a little uh, reward uh, now and again, little, fellas. Little something for you know the effort. Want to remind you, uh, come join the zone in ARUP Friday, January 10th from 10 to 3 at ARUP on 9786 South 500 West. Come save a life and donate some blood. It takes about 30 minutes, and you'll receive a Megaplex gift card, not to mention a popcorn voucher and more jazz gear. And they they left the. Uh, the biggest incentive to go off the liner. How could they do that? Which is? Get your chance to meet the one and only Austin Horton. <laughs> oh, my God. I see where you're coming get, get from your, on that. Get your chance to see that beautiful bald head in person. And it's the one remote I have to be nice to you at. <laughs> you do. That's, uh, it's, Austin, it's do, you, do you let people rub your head when they meet you? If they're married to me. <laughs> That's it. That's the only you, person. What kind of response do you get from people when they meet you? Because you know, it's you're kind of a big deal. And uh, speaking of fresh faces, you've been around a while, but now you're entering a whole new stratosphere as far as well, the star of the station. Well, you know, I'm so glad you asked, Gordon, because this is 100 percent the most the the, the the truth. There's no falsehood in this at all. Without exception, every time. Someone has said, oh, you're Austin from the zone? You're not as fat as Gordon makes you sound. <laughs> Every freaking time. Everyone needs to know that that was never the truth. And it's never okay to make a joke about it. Yeah, I suppose you're right. I, Old man. I really don't bring it up anymore, do I? I think you made a joke about it last week. Or this morning. I think there was a donut joke last week that, that went through. Who doesn't like donuts? Austin? No, I like donuts. Yeah, so I had a like donut them, today. Some might like them more than others, but you know, I mean, I, I and like. There we go. No, everybody likes. Is. Everybody likes. There a donut. it is. No, I said nothing of Austin. Meet Austin, Johnny. Are you, Johnny, do you like donuts? No. Oh. Well, that didn't work. Nope. That blew up in your face. <laughs> and Johnny is fit, fit as a fiddle. Stay tuned. More big show coming up next. Ninety-seven-five and twelve-eighty. The zone. Check this out. And now, your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
Watson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Time for the Not Sports Report. Brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles and inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. Gordo, where are we going today? Well, we're going to Japan, but we're not going to stay stay there for long because we're going to jump into a box and, and be delivered uh, to freedom. You know, Jake, I know you know of this story of the CEO of Nissan who escaped from Japan before... His embezzlement trial was to start, and he had paramilitary operatives pose as musicians. They stuffed him in a concert equipment box and sneaked him onto a private jet to Beirut. So this guy's name is Carlos, is it Gosen? Is that how you say it? Are you aware? Apparently, okay. He was accused of secretly funneling more than $140 million into his retirement account. Which is his current net worth, by the way. Concealing more than $90 million of his salary from the public, failing to report another $80 million of his salary, putting one of his personal debts on the company, directly causing profits to drop and costing like 12,000, 13,000 employees their jobs. And a bunch of other stuff. And he got away. He snuck away. He sneaked away and uh, is now free in Beirut. And apparently they don't have any extradition things going on there. So, And I think he's a citizen there, too. Isn't that yeah, part of the story? Because, I, I, you know, if I'm escaping prosecution, I don't know if Beirut is my first stop, but... If it's uh, well, if he's a citizen there, he has citizenship in Brazil, France, and Lebanon. And which of those three countries has no extradition treaty with Japan? Hmm, I'm guessing Lebanon. That would be correct. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, that makes some sense. Apparently, uh, he paid like a, a a whole group of people all this money to scout out the best airport to get to, uh, and the one they went to to get him out it didn't have uh, the equipment for scanning. Uh, luggage and whatnot was it couldn't handle big big things like that, and so he he got away. And uh, <laughs> I, it's going to make one heck of a story. You uh, you wealthy folk just live by your own rules, don't oh, you? Stop it you, now! You Come guys on. just just do whatever, huh? You just hire paramilitary people to help you flee the country in a guitar case. Sounds like something out of a cartoon. It does. It sounds I don't know which is worse, that or the story about the woman who is on an international flight back to England who uh, apparently had a fear of flying, and so she drank a bunch of red wine, and she then she started walking around the plane propositioning men to join her uh, in the Mile High Club. And then when people told her to knock it off, apparently she started headbutting people, you know, crew members and whatnot. And so they had to restrain her. And she's been arrested and thrown in the clink for like six months. 
Don't do this on an airplane, folks. I mean, you do don't your, do what specifically on an airplane? I mean, you can do what you want in your spare time and whatnot, but don't get combative on an airplane. Oh. Uh, that's, the, that's the point you're picking up on. You know, what, what would you do, Jake, if some 20-year-old woman uh, came up to you on a plane and said, uh, hey, you want to join the, join the Mile High Club with me? You would say? Well, I'd politely decline, of course. But even even what if, if she sounded like Gordon? Because now we have a drop of you saying, "Oh yeah, <laughs> great." Uh, but but even if I was interested, you 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 can't say yes, right? I I don't I know mean, who's I making mean, the you, rules for you, you. I don't know. You can't go. Well, yeah, that sounds wonderful. Let's, let's go. Let's I'm go. I'm not doing anything I mean, else. You know, you can't. <laughs> it's a it's a five hour flight. It's not really an option, right? I didn't want to pay for the movie anyway. <laughs> Everybody in the plane would, would, you know, notice, you think. Okay, so then this brings up other questions like, Austin, who's your celebrity crush? No, I'm not playing this Oh, game. just who is it? Nah. Not who? I, I, I don't know. Who? Just pick someone. Kate Beckinsale. Okay, so you're on yes. a, a flight. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Uh, I think we can are you all sure see that's this? the right answer. No, <laughs> but but that's your answer. Yes. All right. Because it'll never happen. Who's your celebrity crush, Gordon? Uh, well, my wife thinks it's Jennifer Conley. It is Jennifer Conley. You talk about her a lot. Hey, she in the uh, strike me more as a Barbara Walters guy. Oh, please, Babs. <laughs> is uh, is Jennifer Connelly in the new uh, Top Gun movie? I don't know. Is that her? Because because pre- my wife saw something on the TV for it, and she thought she saw Jennifer Connelly, and she turned to me and said, "I guess we're going to see that one." You talked about Beautiful Mind a lot. I love that movie a lot. Yeah, but the, we missed the whole point. The only guy that liked the movie Rocketeer too. The, 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 <laughs> the whole reason I love that movie so much is because of the line at the end when uh, Russell Crowe's character he turns to her and says, "You're the reason I'm here." I'm paraphrasing. You're the reason We've I'm here. We've heard this story a hundred times. You are all my Let's reasons, and it reminds me of my feeling for my wife. That's not the only reason. Well, yeah, yeah, it is. Not, well, yeah, it not, is. It is not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're not fooling anybody, oh, pal. Come on. You know, I like lots of lines in movies too. I don't bring it up uh, at least every other day for the next twenty years. I love that. I love that line because of the. It, it reflects perfectly the way I feel about my loved one. And uh, if anybody out there can find a better woman than my wife, then uh, oh well, he's going to say send me. Then your, what? Send me. Your- <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't exist. Now now you're backpedaling. No, right. it doesn't exist. You can have a celebrity crush. It's fine. Why are you running from this? Well, I, I mean, attractive woman, yes. And talented actor. But I love my wife. What can I we tell know Lisa, we're not doubting that. We know that. Lisa's celebrity crush. So Roger Lisa's Butter. pet name for me is Bowler. Bowler, true. Bowler. She doesn't talk much about Roger anymore. No, because uh-uh. you got really defensive about that for a while. Well, she loved she loved the way he played tennis. I'm sure, uh-huh. she did. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't asked her recently. 
What's your, who are your wife's celebrity crushes? My my wife mentioned one the other day, and I'm tr- I'm totally trying to to uh, remember who she said. Who's who's Whitney's Austin? Gerard Butler. Oh, really? Yep. She was, my wife was a big Johnny Depp guy for a while. I don't know if that that still is a thing. Oh, all right. Okay, I'm glad we got that settled. I liked this whole movie and talk about it all the time because of one line. No, I lo- I like that movie. Yet my celebrity- there, there are all kinds of reasons I like that movie. Yeah, yeah I can think of one of them. No, <laughs> <laughs> not true. Uh, very true. Not at all. Very much. Well, maybe a little. You're going to go see that reheated <laughs> Top Gun. I don't know just, if it's her. Someone inform me. Bowler. <laughs> just, just for general interest, uh, you know, for everyone's information. For research. <laughs> Speaking of Lisa's celebrity crush, oh, Bowler will it. join us coming up next. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Lisa's pet name for me is Bowler. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. I don't want to sound like I'm the defender of offensive line, but sometimes they don't have a voice. Sometimes nobody says anything for them. In fact, I'd say most of the time nobody says anything for them. You, you do sound a little bit like Sally Struthers. We like, be the voice for those that have no voice. Be the voice for your offensive line. <laughs> Sally Struthers. Can you not call me Sally Struthers? Say it like. It's not how I want to start out my new year. These large men don't have a voice but you can <laughs> for just five dollars a day and it's hot at the end of the day catch hands and scotty every day from noon to three presented by your rocky mountain chevy dealers on 97.5 1280 the zone and the zone sports network